pastoral care of the church. And so Steve is going to play a very important and vital role for us joining this elder team. He's going to shoulder a majority of the preaching responsibility on Sunday mornings, uh, provide administrative support, which we need, and also pastoral care support. He's got a counseling background and a lot of years of experience as a pastor, and so we're excited about that. Um, as an elder team, we also just want to take the moment to uh, share a couple of our core ministry values. Again, just to remind everyone that uh, we believe strongly in team-based ministry here. You see that in the New Testament, in the Bible, that the Lord uh, appoints elders as the leaders of his church throughout the New Testament. In Acts 14.23, after Paul's missionary journeys and he's returning through the cities, it says that and they, after he had appointed elders in every church and prayed over them with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so that's what we want to do. Uh, we want to be faithful to honor the Lord, and, and uh, we want to pray over Steve. Um, Team-based ministry is throughout our church. It's not just for the elders. We have deacons who support us in practical ways, and other teams in the church as well, Mormons Ministries and uh, Missions at times, and Awana, and there's a lot of different teams here, youth group teams. We also believe in every member ministry. We recognize that one man can't do it all. It's not all about one man. This is the Lord Jesus' church, first of all. He's the chief shepherd. It's his church, and he sets the rules for his church. And what he's done is he's, through his Holy Spirit, has gifted every believer in this church with a spiritual gift. You might not be aware of that, but you have a spiritual gift if you are a believer in Christ. And we're called, as believers of Christ, priests. There's not just one priest in front doing all the ministry. There, every believer is a priest of God, according to 1 Peter 2.9. And so as a priest believer, you have a spiritual gift to use in ministry here. We need everyone doing their part and using their gifts to build up the church and to reach the lost. It can't be about one man. It can't even just be about a team of elders. It has to be about every member doing their part. And um, we also recognize that Steve is coming in, and it's a high calling. And there's a lot of demands on the work of a full-time elder. And so we just really ask and covet your prayers and your support for Steve. He needs that. We, we can't do this apart from your prayers and support and the power of the Holy Spirit empowering our ministry. And so I just want to call Steve and Marla up here now and the elders to join us as we stand together. And I'll just ask uh, Bob and maybe Jeff to uh, just pray over and, and dedicate Steve's ministry to the Lord. All right, let's uh, just look to our Heavenly Father. Gracious Father, this is a, a, an exciting time for us, exciting time for our church family as we uh, go on a new path with uh, Steve and Marla uh, being here with us. Uh, as Mark just mentioned, Father God, we would um, uh, we beseech you, we, we fall on our knees before you and just ask that you would um, help us in a mighty way. Uh, help Steve and Marla as they adjust to uh, the Des Moines area, specifically Urbandale and, and, and our church family. We would just ask that you would help them in, the, in that transition period, traveling back and forth between uh, here and Albert City and, and all that entails. And Father, just uh, getting to know us, us getting to know him and Marla. Father, we just, uh, we are so excited and so we would just look to you for that, uh, that wisdom and that guidance and that discernment that we will need. 
Father, we, we are so thankful for you to, uh, to be able to call you our Father, and we are your children, and, and what a, an awesome and beautiful gift that is, and it's because of your son's uh, sacrifice that we can do that. So uh, we are here today as your children, just thanking you for uh, Steve and Marla being able to be here, and looking forward to the future and, and all of the, the challenges that will be there, knowing that we can meet them uh, with your help, with your Holy Spirit helping us and guiding us. So we would ask that this morning, that you would just uh, help us and guide us and lead us in a mighty and powerful way. And we ask it in your Son's holy and blessed name. Amen. Continue to pray. Father, thank you for your providential ways and the benefit to us that we see in the, in the way that you've led. Thank you for Steve and Marla and Shara, and thank you for their willingness to step out in faith into a new um, sphere, a new realm of service unknown. And we don't know all of your purposes in this, but we know that your purposes are for our blessing. And we just thank you for that. And we just pray for help for them now and all the transitions and the, the various uh, decisions and, and tasks that need to be done as they, as they move over the next nine months and I just pray for your strength, special portion of strength for them and, and for um, they would just have wisdom as they seek to balance all these things and work out a schedule and, and I just pray that we would uh, as a congregation too be gracious and graceful and supporting and not only in prayer but in other acts of service that they're needful of at this time we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Is that working now? Yeah, okay, good, good. That's all right. You'll give me a little grace maybe the first Sunday with my technological challenges. I'd like you to just pray with me if you would as we prepare to worship the Lord through the study of His Word. And God, I just stand here as Your servant as we gather together to worship You and acknowledge how great is our God. Age to age the same, Lord. You have never changed. And we, we do not walk alone. And as we seek to examine Your Word, I pray that Your Spirit would speak to each of our hearts that we would not only gain intellectual understanding, but that our hearts would be changed and transformed. God, we need You. We need You to show up. We need you to be working in us and through us for your glory and for the gain and advancement of your cause. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I'm just thankful uh, that I serve a God who works in very specific ways. Because six months ago, I would have never thought I would be in Urbandale, Iowa. I would have never thought I would move from a small town in northwest Iowa that has 720 residents, including cats and dogs. But I have been blessed to have served as the pastor 
of that church for 21 years. Uh, and I, I'm going to uh, embarrass one of my greatest friends in the world, uh, Darwin Anderson and his dear wife, Darlis, have been mentors for my wife and I, and Dar and Darlis are here. Uh, we love these dear folks. And uh, uh, Darwin and his wife, he's the director of uh, International Messengers, which is a mission organization doing church planting and evangelism out of Clear Lake, Iowa. Darwin actually grew up in the church that I have been serving for the past 21 years. So <clears throat> it's, a, it's a crazy small world. And so he has been a, 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 a kind of lit the fire in my gut to see the gospel uh, spread around the world. And, uh, you know, you do things that just don't make sense for Jesus. Uh, they make sense for Jesus, but they don't make sense for us, but you do them for Jesus. And so that's, that's what we're here. Thanks to all of you. I thank you for everybody who's been working, painting, and putting stuff together in my study, and all that kind of stuff, and just the, the gracious welcome. We just appreciate you very much. Looking forward uh, to getting in the yoke. And you'll forgive me, I'm a little bit of a farm boy, so when I use some of these terms, but it's actually in the Bible, so if you really are Bible people, you can, you can go there, okay? Uh, we're going to get in the yoke, and we're going to pull together. And we're going to do what God's called us to do. So this morning I was thinking, you know, uh, we're, we're starting this series, Where From Here? Several years ago, my wife and I were headed west of Kalispell, Montana on Highway 2. And we read the sign that said, Road work ahead, expect major delays up to four hours. Well, before cell phones, GPS, we carried this. Okay? So some of you young people, hey, you have never seen one of these things. So I brought one this morning so you can see it. It actually has maps in it, you know? So you do MapQuest and you put on your GPS and it tells you where to go. I'm telling you, if you use your GPS in Montana, you will sleep in your car. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. I actually went, on, went out there uh, in 2010 and I talked to the guy on the phone where I was going. He says, the last guy who used his GPS ended up on a gravel road somewhere and slept in his car overnight. So go by the directions I give you. We consulted our atlas and we found the best alternate route to get to where we wanted to be. We turned off on a gravel road. And this winding, rugged road that snaked through the forest's and mountains of western Montana meant that we ate the dust of several logging trucks. We were shaken to pieces by the washboards. And we suffered some in the car, car sickness from the twists and turns. We pulled over to change drivers because the nauseated people decided that they should drive. <laughs> and we said, where from here? Where are we going from here? 
this morning, the folks at Creekside Church are not changing their destination. The destination where from here is printed in bold letters as you walked into the sanctuary, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not changed. It's not changing. We're going there. But, like my family in that car on the snaking road in western Montana, there's obstacles that get us off the beaten path and get us deterred from where we're headed. Unpleasant circumstances. Some of you experienced loss in your family. Loved ones that have gone. Change of jobs. Some have seen you know, illness that has racked them or plagued them or come on them. And so these personal things. But then there are corporate things. There's disagreement about philosophy of ministry. There's disagreement about a, a biblical application and interpretation. There's been struggles with pride and struggles with disagreements over certain issues that this congregation has experienced some rough roads in the last several months. So where do we go from here? The unpleasant circumstances get us off the beaten path, cause the detour. But also, there are unwelcome cultural opposition factors. We live in an age in which the culture is very intolerant of absolute truth. Biblical truth. Now, that doesn't play too well with the crowd. Then there is this increase of decadence in our society just abject moral no no mores no anchors morally for the culture and then there is blatant irreverence for god but today marks a new beginning it's a new beginning for me my wife and our family it's a new beginning for creekside church as we seek to go where from here where what are we going to do? What needs to happen? New beginnings. Where from here will require us as a church, as a church family, to follow the difficult and demanding and yet delightfully rewarding directions from this atlas, this guidebook, this map quest will lead us in the direction that, that we need to go. Ignoring it, will sidetrack us at best and strand us at worst. And so, this morning we're beginning to answer the question, where from here, we need to know that there are several pathways that we need to go down, just like we had to go down different pathways to get finally back to the main road that led us to where we were headed. There are several pathways down which we need to travel, leading people to leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. We begin this morning down the path of speaking up rather than shutting up for Jesus. We need to speak up for our Master. What do you like to talk about? What do you like to talk about? Come on, what do you like to talk about? Your family, of course. You want to get in somebody's uh, wheelhouse, just ask them about their family. Everybody wants to talk about their family because their family is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Everybody knows it. What else do you like to talk about? 
Sports, yeah. We got Alan up here singing the praises of the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes, you know. Well, not the Hawkeyes, but he's singing the praises of the Cyclones, you know. What else do we like to talk about? Family, sports, what? Work. Yeah, work, your work. So there's lots of things we like to talk about. But do we, do we naturally go to Jesus? Do we just, you know, like as, a, as easily as we talk about our family, are we as readily willing to talk about our faith? Not usually. And so Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he lays out for us, he gives us some reminders as he talks about his own motivation for ministry. He lays out some reminders for us in the text. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-21 as we're at. There's three reminders that are intended to move us from hiding the truth to heralding the truth of God's Word in the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself in Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. But He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of God to be reconciled to Christ. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The first reminder is that we should Examine our own identity. What does it mean? Paul says, therefore, in verse 17. And he says it in verse 16 as well, right? Therefore, therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, you need to ask, what in the world is it therefore? Okay. The therefores in 16 and 17 introduce us to the consequences of the Death and resurrection of Christ that brings us into a relationship with Him. The love of Christ as evidenced in the death and the love of God that's evidenced in the death and resurrection of Christ that's articulated in verses 14 and 15. So the consequences of 16 and 17, which are a new attitude and being a new creature, are the result of what happens in verses 14 and 15. The love of God manifests through. Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. He says, therefore, if any man, any person, any Jew or Gentile is in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Isn't it interesting how we read the Bible and we just skip over, well, yeah, I kind of got an idea what that means, but I just really never thought about articulating it or defining it. In Christ means that we have a personal union with the risen Christ by means of faith. Every believer, as the ESV says, is a new creation. Something entirely new. My, my son, his in-laws, have 
a dog that's a, a Labradoodle, okay? A cross between a Labrador and a Poodle. Now, don't ask me how that works, okay? You can ask Darwin. He's a geneticist. He's a, he works with all that stuff. I don't know anything about that other than it seems kind of weird to me. Okay? It's not a new creature. It's a unique breed, but it's a dog. Dogs are dogs. There's big dogs, short dogs, fat dogs, little dogs, but they're dogs. But to be in Christ means you are a new, you and I are a new creature, a new creation, something entirely different. It means that the old things, that's what Paul says in verse 17, the old things, the old things of the flesh, the life that's governed by selfishness and pride and immorality, is gone. It's no longer there. Selfishness. The new things, that is the life governed by the Spirit of God, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You read it in Galatians 5 and First Cor- or in Colossians chapter 3. That's become new. Folks, we're going to get into this later, Lord willing, and we, as we get in, we get into 1 John. But there is no such thing as an old, cantankerous, self-centered Christian. If we're in Christ, we are new. And that means that something happens in our life. New creatures have new purposes. New creatures have new perspectives. They have new priorities. They have new practices. We aren't what we used to be. And that means our lives change. They're antithetical to the world. You know, We go from using other people and pleasing ourselves to serving other people and pleasing Christ. That's what it means to be a new creature in Christ. I remember several years ago, Tim Tebow was playing for the University of Florida football team, and he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, and they had this story, this article about Tim Tebow, how he went on spring break, instead of to the beaches of Florida to hang out and party, he went on short-term mission trips. A new creature in Christ. Doing different than the world. Different from the world. Every believer is a new creature designed for good works that bring glory to our great God and King. But the world tries to press us into its mold. The world tries to say, no, you're not a new creature. Don't be a new creature. Be a, a, an old creature so that we become selfish. And you need what you need is more. You need to be more. Success means power. Success means possessions. Success means influence. That's what, you, that's what the world measures in folks. You wake up every morning surrounded by these pressures. We wake up and we're pressed and pushed and molded and shaped by it. And we're supposed to keep our faith secret. My faith is private. Really? That's nice. Paul says, tell the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The flesh is not eliminated. That's the point here. The flesh is not eliminated, but it is eviscerated when the Spirit of God is at work in our hearts and souls and minds. Then the the flesh is pushed down and the Spirit of God has reigned. And it says in the text, all these things, verse 18, verse A, uh, first part, all these things are from God. This new creation stuff is from God. And then Paul explains how these changes came about. This new life is a gift. 
All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. What does it mean to reconcile? Now, I know that several of you are CPAs, and so you could, you know, it's reconciling, you know, it's like it's... Well, the biblical term of reconciliation is the idea of exchange. So theologically, it refers to there's a relationship of enmity, a relationship of hostility that is exchanged for one of peace and goodwill. So there is a divine exchange that takes place. So that men who are hostile, that God is hostile towards them, and we're hostile towards God, no longer are hostile, but there is an exchange of peace and goodwill and harmony. Human sin makes us hostile to God. You can read in Ephesians chapter 1, you were objects of His wrath. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, do I have a slide of that? Maybe, I'm not sure. I'm sorry, yeah. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, separated from God. When Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, they became our enemies. And we were hostile towards them. They were alienated from us. Praise God that that's not lo no longer the case. When God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, He did so because we were alienated from God. And He sought to reconcile us, as it says in Colossians 1.20, through, uh, through brought peace through the blood of His cross. It's His, His blood that brought the peace because Christ took upon Himself, Christ took upon Himself the punishment that we deserve because all sin deserves punishment. And when Christ died, He took the sin upon Himself so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequence, but that God's righteousness in Christ would be put on us so that we might be blameless and above reproach. Reconciliation is God initiating that peace relationship. We can't. We have nothing in us to initiate this peace relationship because we're hostile towards God. But God initiated it towards us. It's a change of a state in, in us. Reconciliation of humans is, and, and the world and creation is through Christ. That's what it says in verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. At a wedding, I'm assuming most of you have been to a wedding, especially those of you who are married. The... The, the reception afterwards, at the reception, if you're an invited guest, your, your meal is paid for, right? It's provided. But unless you show up, the provision is of no value to you. I understand my perspective is that when Christ died on the cross, it was a sacrifice sufficient to pay for the sins of mankind. But it is an efficient sacrifice only for those who receive it. For only for those who believe. Only those who believe are reconciled. Only those who believe are forgiven. Only those who believe are new creations. Murray Harris put it this way, God has on one occasion and decisively dealt with the cause of enmity and removed the obstacle to fellowship Namely, human sin. There's a story of a, a man who was vacationing on the beach, near the beach. He was walking along with his son, and the tide had washed up a number 
of starfish that were stranded on the beach. And they're kind of wriggling on the beach, you know. They're, they're dying on the beach. And the man's walking along. And he reached over and he picked up one of the starfish and he threw it back into the ocean. And they did that again every once in a while. And his son finally said, Dad, what are you doing? It really doesn't matter. I mean, there's, there's too many of them. They're, they're going to die. And the dad reached over and he picked one up and he took the starfish and he threw it into the ocean. He goes, it matters to that one. See, reconciliation is an offer that God makes to exchange our place as those who are hostile to God and God is hostile to us. We are deserving of His wrath and it's an offer that those who receive it by faith, it matters. It's offered to all. But to those who receive it, it matters. Because it's a matter of life and death. It changes us. It's available to all. Casting Crowns has this song, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Jesus. Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. I ask you this morning, are you reconciled to God? Every one of us is born and God is hostile to us because of our sin. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. We need to examine our identity, but then we need to embrace our new ministry. In verses 18 and 19, uh, there are three facts that help us embrace it. First, the source of our ministry. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, and He gave us God, that is, at the beginning of the verse, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's two ideas. First of all, this is a reward. It's a privilege. And secondly, it's a responsibility. A privilege and a responsibility. God gave us. Who's the us? Us is those who have been reconciled. Those who have by their, put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection as the payment for their sins and the power to prove that they have forgiveness. We've been given this ministry. Several years ago, I was in college and I came home and my father, who has some farm ground over near Earlham, put me in charge of harvesting the, the wheat. Actually, oats. They were oats at the time. So I was supposed to make sure that the oats got harvested. I had to decide when they were ready to harvest and get the person in there to harvest them. And I felt that as somewhat of a reward. He was rewarding me for a responsible job, but he was giving me a responsible ability, and I took it very seriously. I was majorly stressed out. I wonder, as children of God, do we take as seriously God's charge to us as ministers of reconciliation to do that work as we do a job that our boss gives us or an assignment in school. Well, that's important. i got to get that done. We need to be about that. That This is a responsibility. Then there's the substance of our ministry. What have we been given? It's a ministry of reconciliation. Think about this, folks. We have been given the divine privilege of being instruments that God would use to bring people 
bring human beings who are currently at enmity with God and bring them into a right, restored relationship with the God of the universe. They would be at peace with God. They would know purpose in their life. They would have value and meaning and a reason to live. That's what God has given us the opportunity to do. Stephen Jobs, who started Apple Computer, approached John Scully, who at the time was one of the big shots at PepsiCo, Pepsi Corporation. Okay? And he wanted to lure Scully over to Apple. And he said to Scully, he said, Scully, do you want to spend the rest of your life sh selling sugared water or do you want to join me and change the world? John Scully went to Apple Computer. Folks, I get juiced up about the fact that God has called us as believers to change eternity. Not just change the world but to be ministers of reconciliation, be those people who go into the world and share with people the life-changing message that there is a Savior who died for you so that you, if you put your faith and your trust in Him, you can be redeemed and rescued and have the promise of eternal life and be delivered from the wrath of God. That's all I'm saying. That's what Creekside Church is about. If you're going to lead people to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, they've got to have one. And that's where we start, is leading them to Jesus. That's the substance of our ministry. And then the strategy is, He has committed to us, at the end of verse 19, the word of reconciliation. It's a word. You know, people say, oh yeah, preach, uh, preach Jesus all the time, and if necessary, use words. What does Romans 10.17 say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. No words. No faith. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't live out our faith before people. That's true. But he, Paul has, says God has given us this ministry of reconciliation, it, which is the Word of Christ. And what is that Word? He says in verse 20, be reconciled to God. <laughs> because you're not reconciled to God. So be reconciled to God. And that begins, we, we have to, first of all, inform people, the lost people, that Christ's death and resurrection provided a way for them to escape wrath. Judgment from God. And then we've got to invite them to accept the gift that God has given through His Son, Jesus, and that they would trust Him and escape that wrath and enjoy that relationship. I'm not a, a big TV ad person, but I've seen this ad a few times on TV. Marie Osmond, you know, that, that's kind of dating me. She was a big thing, you know, her Donnie and Marie show and all this stuff. But she has this Nutrisystems ad, you know. She lost 50 pounds. And here's Marie, you know, 50 pounds and eight children later. And here's, here's what she looks like. So she's up there communicating her deal and inviting you and I to join her with it. And I'm thinking, okay, she's going to get fat again. Uh, uh, I mean, it'll happen. 
I mean, it just does. That's just the way it is. Uh, I'm not saying... Sorry, okay. She's probably going to add a few pounds over the next few years. Okay. Can you guys edit this? Uh, so, she's probably going to, you know... Folks, people are going to die without Jesus. What's more important? Informing them that they need Christ and inviting them to trust Him. All we are as believers in Jesus are beggars sharing with other poor beggars the good and gracious news about where we found living bread. The bread of life in Christ. We need to examine our identity. We need to embrace our ministry. And then we need to exercise our responsibility. Verse 20. There's that word again. Therefore. Therefore, in light of the fact that we have been reconciled, in light of the fact that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, what is our responsibility? Which is to be ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? We're the mouthpiece of Jesus. With His authority... And with that responsibility, we're supposed to speak up as though God were entreating through us. That means in our homes, in our workplace, as we sit in the doctor's office, as we coach our kids, as we sit in the bleachers, as you go to their ballet things, we're supposed to be ambassadors. I have a 95-year-old friend. He used to come into my study about every week and tell me about the people he'd had a chance to talk to about Jesus. 95 years old. And he says, God saved me. For he, was, uh, he was on a ship that was hit by a kamikaze in World War II, and he survived and was not a believer and became a believer afterwards, and now he's living for Jesus as an ambassador. Last night, there was a wedding here. A testimony. A testimony of two people in this congregation who were ambassadors for Christ in their neighborhood and were responsible in being there to reconcile two people who then were married to faith in Jesus Christ and now they're a married couple. That gets me juiced up. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be excited about. In the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, you can better believe that all the aid organizations are saying, please... No, they're not going... Well, you know, it'd really be nice if some of you folks up there that are sitting there in your dry houses would send a little money to help folks out. No! They're saying, we need your help now! We beg you, he says. We beg you. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I'm thinking, what does it mean to beg somebody? We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's intensity. That's intentionality. But it's also a little bit of intimacy. Because I care. Because I care about your soul. That's why I want you to come to Jesus. It's not because I am a Christian and by all, oh, I'm such a great person. We don't walk around saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell, so you need to turn to Jesus. So you know what? 
if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would live a life just like you. But he gloriously rescued me from that life, and now I just want you to have the life that God has promised to me. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, we've got to inform people of their sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've got to share the horrible, immediate, and ultimate consequences of sin. And that is not a fun job in a world that thinks they don't sin. Write this one down, John 3.19. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And when we start shedding the light on their evil deeds, they don't like it. But if we don't shed light on their evil deeds, guess what? They continue on in their evil deeds and they die in their evil deeds. I read this week uh, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood.org, the Nashville Statement. Statement on human sexuality, a biblical understanding of human sexuality, which is going to offend even many evangelical Christians. But it's a statement about God's perspective on the truth regarding human sexuality and human identity from Genesis on. But it also is a glorious and gracious presentation of forgiveness made available to all sinners. That's the balance that we, we walk. We must point out that lying and stealing and cheating and immorality and racism is sin that separates us from God and makes us subject to His wrath. Then we need to instruct people. And this is, instruct them that this is love. It's the love of God. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He would send His only Son to make a wretch his treasure. We share it out of love, not out of arrogance. And then we must invite people. I mean, that's what Romans 5.8 says. What? But God demonstrated His love towards us. His love towards us. His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't have to get your act together to be loved by God. He loves the lost. Read it in Luke 15. Then we must invite people to turn from their sin and trust Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that's what we invite them to, is to trust in His Son, whoever believes in Him. Then He says that in Him, that in Christ, in relationship with Christ by faith, we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the divine exchange. Christ taking our sin upon Himself, and we believing and trusting in Him, and His righteousness coming upon us. That's reconciliation. It's a divine transfer. You see, we're just called to a ministry of expressing to others the love of God we have experienced. And we want them to enjoy. Regardless, and this is the, this is the, the pointy part here, regardless of our vocation, regardless of our location, regardless of our education, and regardless of our situation, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. So that means in the park and on the playground, in the boardroom, in the break room, in the classroom, 
Every believer at every age, at every stage, in every way, is an ambassador for Jesus. That's how you lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. So I just said, what, what keeps me from speaking up? You know, one of the ways that Creekside Church has to proclaim the message of reconciliation is through the weekly celebration of the Lord's table. And as we break the bread and share the cup, it, it reminded me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he, What's that? That's, that's the message of reconciliation. Why do we proclaim His death? Because He died for our sins and He rose again to give us victory over it. That's proclaiming the message of reconciliation. And so, this is a time for you as a time of invitation because maybe you're here this morning and you're living in rebellion against God and you're, you're living in passive indifference or active rebellion and you know that you're not a child of God. You've not been reconciled. What better time than for you to see this bread as it's broken in this cup as the symbols of Christ's body broken for you and His blood shed for you and to then... Invite Him to be your Lord and Master to turn from your sin and to trust Him for salvation. And then to use this communion as a testimony of your new relationship becoming a new creature in Christ. And for those of us who know Jesus, it's an introspection for us to think about how deep is the Father's love for us how much we do not deserve, that He would make a wretch His treasure. And then use that to motivate us to share with other people. So and I'm going to pray and, and ask the Lord's blessing on the bread and the cup. And then what our practice is, is that uh, you're going to be, there's going to be songs and then nobody's compelled, but if you feel led, you come up to one of the tables up front or in the back and you take off a piece of bread and grab a cup and take it back to your place and, uh, and then partake of the element. Okay, I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that you gave your son, Jesus, that we might have life and have it abundantly. I pray that we might be about leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ by first of all speaking up rather than shutting up for Jesus, pray you take this bread as it's broken and this cup and that you'd use them as reminders of us, the love of Jesus. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, I pray that they would cry out to you and repent and turn from their sins and in faith cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I need you and accept what you did as the payment for my sin that I would no longer be an object of your wrath, but we one of your children and I surrender my life to you. And those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would reflect on your great love for us and use it to motivate us to share that great love with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus
to him will. Seems that the least we can do is to share with the lost world what he has done for us. You know, we're unashamed to post on Facebook all the cute little pictures of our kids, all the great things that they've done, all of our accomplishments and our political perspectives. But we're so silent about the one who paid it all, all for, a, all for to him we owe. The sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. We have a word of reconciliation to the lost. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ starts with bringing Jesus to people. Here's the thing, folks. We don't lead anybody to Jesus. We just lead Jesus to the people. I mean, I can't, I can't save anybody. My job is to bring Jesus to the person, not the person to Jesus. And that's your job too. And here's the help. Examine our own identity, who we are in Jesus. What is the blessed hope we have? Embrace that, that ministry of reconciliation and then just get about it as best we can, praying for God's grace. Lord, help me. I'm a weak, feeble, frail person. I don't, I, I mean, I stumble around and fall. I need your help. Let's pray. Father, when I think about the love of Christ shed on the cross, I just pray that you'd help each of us to be more reflective, motivated by that love, to be your ambassadors. For Jesus, oh, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming our God reigns. Help us to leave this place committed, asking for opportunities, praying for opportunities, praying that you'd open our mouths, you'd open the doors, and you'd give us the words. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Lord bless you. You are dismissed. If you're here as a guest for the very first time, there is in the rack underneath the seat in front of you a little card. I'd really appreciate if you'd fill that out and just leave it on the seat, and uh, then we'd have a record of your attendance. Lord bless you. You are dismissed. Crimson stain, he washed it white.